Today, we're going to court. There are several civil lawsuits involving celebrities right now, and it seems like Hollywood is getting even more litigious. Former Real Housewife of Atlanta, Nene Leakes, is suing Bravo for what she says was a racist work environment. Kardashian friend turned foe Black China is suing that family for allegedly ruining her reality TV career. A few months ago, Cardi B won a defamation lawsuit against a YouTuber, Tasha K. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But of course, the case that everyone seems to be talking about, maybe because the whole thing is being live streamed, is Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. It is truly unlike anything I've ever seen, especially in Fairfax County, Virginia. Emily Yar is an entertainment reporter covering the trial for the Washington Post. This is not a place where celebrity trials really play out. And so there's just been this just flurry of activity every day. I've been in the court since they did jury selection, and they actually have 100 spectator spots available. So before the sun even rises, people are outside lining up, waiting for one of the you know coveted 100 spectator wristbands that gets you in the courtroom. There are a lot of Johnny Depp fans. There is a hashtag justice for Johnny contingent that's there every day, and, and they make their presence very known. Johnny Depp is suing his ex-wife, Amber Heard, for defamation related to claims she made about him being abusive to her when they were married. And the scene outside of the trial is more like something you'd find outside of a movie premiere, not a suburban courtroom. Every day, fans line up just to catch a glimpse of Johnny Depp. People have traveled from all over the world. There's a lady who brings two alpacas to the courthouse. It's truly bizarre especially when you consider the fact that this is a trial about domestic abuse. To be clear, no one is facing criminal charges. This is a civil suit to determine if Amber Heard had the right to claim that she was abused and if her claims wrongfully hurt Johnny Depp's career. Welcome to Pop Cultured. I'm Bridget Armstrong. Johnny Depp is suing Amber Heard for defamation. She's countersuing for the same thing. A few months ago, Cardi B won a $4 million defamation lawsuit against a YouTuber. Today, we'll get into the details of those cases and talk about why we may see more like them in the future. So how did Johnny Depp end up in a courtroom in Fairfax, Virginia, sharing the most private and shocking details of his failed marriage? It all started in May 2016. At that point, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard had been married for about 15 months. And in late May, Amber Heard filed for divorce and a restraining order, alleging that Johnny had physically abused her. Johnny Depp denied the allegations and he and Heard settled their divorce out of court. But it wasn't over because of a little op-ed Amber Heard wrote in the Washington Post in 2018. It was kind of a general op-ed about, you know, believing women when they speak out about violence. But she mentioned that, you know, two years prior, she had become kind of the public face for domestic abuse. This op-ed came out the year after the Me Too movement went viral. And a lot of women were speaking out about the abuse they'd been victim to. And Heard said her piece was speaking to that more generally. She never mentioned Johnny Depp's name, but Depp and his lawyers say it still hurt his reputation. So Johnny Depp sued her after that, saying that even though um, she didn't mention him or any details about their marriage by using the phrase two years ago, um, that he was, she was obviously alluding to him. And 
He says that Abed further kind of irreparably damaged his career. He was dropped by Disney from Pirates of the Caribbean after that. And so he sued her for defamation for $50 million. And she ended up actually countersuing him for $100 million, also for defamation, because his attorney called her allegations a hoax. But it won't be easy for either of them to prove their claims. Defamation lawsuits are notoriously hard to win, especially for celebrities. For regular people, non-famous folks, you only have to prove that the person said something about you that was false and harmful. But when the person is famous, the standard is a little higher. Johnny Depp has to prove actual malice um, against Amber Heard, which basically means that when she wrote her op-ed, she knew what she was saying was false. So his lawyers argued in their opening statements that Amber Heard is lying about these allegations, and they said that irreparably damaged his career and reputation after that op-ed came out. And then her lawyers are arguing that her op-ed is true and also protected under the First Amendment. And remember, to complicate it even more, Amber Heard is countersuing Johnny Depp for defamation for saying she was lying when she says she was telling the truth. Here's another background detail you should know. The case is playing out in an unlikely location, Fairfax, Virginia. Depp and Heard both live in L.A., but Amber Heard wrote her op-ed in the Washington Post. The Post's online servers and printing press are in Fairfax. Fairfax is just a little outside of D.C. And even though the Post isn't named in the lawsuit, Johnny Depp's lawyers argued that the trial could be held in Virginia because they printed it. Also, his lawyers might have been motivated by Virginia's defamation laws. Virginia is known as a place that has weaker anti-defamation laws. But this trial has already sparked some changes. Right around the time Johnny Depp filed his lawsuit, people definitely seemed to notice that suddenly Virginia was becoming sort of a magnet for these kind of cases. And so especially free speech advocates were really worried that about this. So the Virginia legislature actually, shortly after this lawsuit was filed, passed bills to try to strengthen those defamation laws. So more people didn't kind of follow suit and, and try to file these high-profile lawsuits in Virginia. This isn't the first time Johnny Depp has been in court over this. He sued the UK tabloid The Sun for a 2018 headline that called him a wife beater. A lot of details that are coming out now um, are similar things that were already used um, in the UK case with Johnny Depp vehemently saying he did not abuse Amber Heard or saying that he did. But in that case, he lost. And that was not a jury trial. That was in front of a judge. And at that time, um, Amber Heard alleged that he assaulted her 14 times. And the judge found there was enough evidence to support her claims of 12 incidents. So he said at the time that the Sun proved its article was, quote, substantially true. So he ended up, yeah, losing that one. Before Johnny Depp took the stand, the jury really didn't hear about the UK case a lot. And it seems like when that did come up, there was always an objection. But when Johnny Depp was being cross-examined and he would say certain things or say he didn't remember something, he was allowed to go back and find his testimony from the UK trial and, and point out that he did or didn't say something then. Now that we've gotten the background out of the way, let's get into some of the drama that's been unfolding in the courtroom. There are 100 potential witnesses scheduled to testify. And a judge has already told Johnny Depp's lawyers to speed this show up so they can be done before Memorial Day. And some of the stuff that's come out on the stand is wilder than any movie either of these two have ever been in. Just a warning, this gets a little graphic. 
So there's this, there was this incident that happened in Australia in March 2015 when Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were both living there together while he filmed the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Basically, the, the end result was that Johnny Depp's, the top of his middle right hand, um, his middle finger on his right hand was severed. When he, you know, took the stand, he said that what happened was he and Amber got in a big fight because she was very upset over something that was going on with their postnuptial agreement and that she threw a vodka bottle in a way that severed the top of his finger. And after that, he said he went into shock and kind of had a nervous breakdown and started, I'm sorry, this is gross, but he um, dipped his finger his, his in paint and started writing all over like mirrors and on lampshades with this blood and paint mixture um, kind of words and phrases that um, some of which were not very flattering to Amber Heard and that he said were kind of reminders of, of lies she had told him. You dipped your finger in paint after suffering an injury. Yes. Yes that, or no? Yes, that was after I had, um, after writing on the walls, the uh, blood had kind of dried, as it were, and, uh, and so I uh, stuck my finger into a can of paint and also, <clears throat> excuse me, mineral spirits to, um, to put my verbal messages onto the wall. Also, defaced a painting by drawing a penis on it, didn't you? I've never, I, I don't know about that. I don't remember drawing it's, a penis on a painting. Given the state you were in, it's entirely possible that you did that. So, you know, her lawyer questioned him about this for a while during cross-examination and played some audio and showed some texts where Johnny Depp uh, used sort of the phrasing like, back when I chopped off my finger. So, it's, you know, we haven't heard from Amber Heard seems like she has a very different version of how that finger was injured, but like that's kind of the level of gruesome detail that the jury has been hearing. And um, yeah, that one is pretty hard to forget. And it gets worse. I did not think the phrase human fecal matter would come up in this trial, but um, I was wrong. Sorry, this one is disgusting. When Johnny Depp took the stand, he alleged that Amber Heard defecated in his bed for revenge after an argument. We'll have to wait to get Amber Heard's side of both of those stories. So far, we've mostly only heard from witnesses on Johnny Depp's side. And as Amber Heard's lawyers have pointed out, he seemed to be bankrolling a lot of them. I think with most people that have been on the stand for him, you have his sister who, you know, then Amber Heard's lawyers point out, his sister is the president of his production company. So she's, you know... Uh, she, he said, you know, you're on his payroll. And then his his longtime friend who took the stand um, lived rent-free in one of his properties. And, you know, the lawyers have made a, a big point of saying how, you know, Johnny Depp let Amber Heard's sister and her friends also live rent-free in some of the properties he owns. So yeah, that, that has definitely kept coming up as well. Another testimony that stands out is the couple's therapist. She said she had spent um, a decent amount of time with both of them separately and together, I think the line that probably got the most attention was when she said that she determined from her conversations with them that her, there had been mutual abuse between the two of them and that, you know, she brought up they had both been abused as children, both of which, have, you know, has come up from, from their lawyers. We've heard some of their backstory. But so far, the testimony that's gotten the most attention is from Johnny Depp himself. I think really the entire time Johnny Depp has been on the stand has 
been when it seems like people in the courtroom like are the most riveted. And I mean, it is un- unusual to see a celebrity on on the stand in general, but it seems like these these past couple of days, you, you can like hear a pin drop. Like people are just really captivated by everything he has to say. Four or five years old, I, I can remember vividly my, my mom telling me to go get her nerve pills, you know, um, out of her purse that was hanging on the back of the door. He definitely speaks very, very slowly. And also his answers have been really, really long, which has been something that Amber Heard's lawyers have has been trying to cut down on. He, he kind of he has been cutting him off. So I'd go get the nerve pills and I'd bring her the nerve pill to take it. And, um, you know, after a few years, you start to notice well, you start to think about nerve pills, nerve pills. <laughs> and then she seemed to calm down after she took those nerve pills. So when I was 11 years old, um, I wanted to calm down and I didn't know how to. So I, I'd bring my mom her nerve pill I would walk away and I would take one myself. Even if it's a yes or no question, he'll have like context or a backstory that he'll want to share. So he kind of tends to speak in monologues when he was talking about his childhood and and his life and in some instances where he alleges that Amber abused him. Someone was saying that it almost sounded like it was like cinematic the way he was he was describing it. And so it's very long, in-depth answers as much as he's been on the stand. And then I think, too, during the cross-examination, when Amber Heard's lawyer played a lot of audio clips where you could hear him yelling and, and showed a lot of, you know, kind of profane text messages that he had sent about her, which, you know, then he said he regrets using some of the language he did. You could just, I think, tell that some people were really, really paying attention when he was in the spotlight. There's been some evidence that something physical happened. But this isn't a criminal trial where someone will be sentenced for assault or abuse. This is a civil matter to determine if Amber Heard had the right to make claims of abuse. So this case will more than likely come down to whose friends are more convincing. They have shown us a couple photos so far that um, that has shown Amber Heard with bruises, Johnny Depp with bruises. I think that's been like a key thing that has come up with every single witness. They always ask, you know, did you ever see any physical violence between the two of them? Did you ever witness that? And everyone has said no. You know, they're also going off of what each of them were told. No one else, yeah, so far has seen that they have, yeah, witnessed anything. I think the one thing like Johnny Depp's security guard um, said that he saw Amber Heard like throw a plastic cup or water bottle in Johnny Depp's direction. And I think that's the closest I've heard to anyone saying that they that they actually saw anything happening. So, right, that's another thing. It's just all these people sharing the details of the stories that, that they were told from either of them. Amber Heard's witnesses haven't taken the stand yet, so it's too early to tell who, if anyone, will win this case. But that hasn't stopped the court of public opinion. The hashtag Justice for Johnny has really seems like taken off online. And um, that's that's what it seems to be outside the courthouse. I mean, Johnny Depp, is, I think a lot of it is he's just more famous. He's been around for longer. You know, I, I've talked to people who are there who say they loved him since the 90s and have followed his career since then and feel very passionately about him. And, and they, they personally do not believe he could have done this. And they, you know, I guess feel passionately enough that they 
show up every day at the courthouse. And these are people from all over the world. There's a woman who took off four weeks from her job in Australia to come here and, and come to the courthouse every day. Although there, there are some Amber Heard fans there. And there's one woman, woman who I've seen almost every day who is there. She has a, a sign that she holds. And it, her kind of point is that she thinks that there are kind of nefarious forces online that are leading to his fans drowning out Amber. So she's there every day too. Amber Heard is expected to take the stand in the coming weeks, along with a few other high-profile witnesses. Elon Musk, who she dated right after Johnny Depp, and James Franco, who she starred with in a movie. So I know there, there's some interest around that. So yeah, honestly, like I, I have no idea what to expect anymore. And no matter what the outcome of this particular case, the fact that it's getting so much attention could have implications for cases like it in the future. I think defamation suits are always going to be really difficult. I have seen some experts kind of talking about this could have an effect. People will be more hesitant to, like, say, write an op-ed because, you know, no matter the outcome of this case, they've seen um, that you can get sued for that. Um, so, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be really interesting to see the real, real impact on this. As we talked about earlier, in general, defamation lawsuits are hard to win when celebrities are involved. But that doesn't stop people from filing them. And every now and again, they actually win. Kate Hudson sued the UK National Enquirer for suggesting that she had an eating disorder and won that suit. Actor Sean Penn sued director Lee Daniels for implying that he had been a domestic abuser. Daniels had to issue an apology and donate money to charity. Reality star Black China is currently suing the Kardashian family for $100 million for defamation, saying the family ruined her reality TV career. Black China used to be engaged to and has a child with Rob Kardashian, Kris Jenner's son. Black China says Kris Jenner badmouthed her to e-execs and got her reality show Rob and China canceled. And already on the stand, Black China has admitted to holding an unloaded gun to Rob's head and wrapping a phone cord around his neck. She says it was all a joke. Okay, those examples are a little extreme, but we might start seeing more defamation cases from famous people because of Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Anyone can say anything about anyone on our beautiful interwebs, but if you type or say something you know is a lie and it goes viral, you could catch a case. And that's kind of what happened to one YouTube blogger named Tasha Kay when she came up against Belkalis Alamanzar, also known as Cardi B. So Tasha Kay had just kind of been on a rampage for years making videos about Cardi B. Robin Autry is a professor of sociology at Wesleyan University. She wrote a piece for NBC News about the case. Her private life with her partner, about her child, about her past, when Cardi B has been really open about working as a stripper at one time and just a lot of salacious stories about different times in Cardi B's life in the past, but then also current behavior, including her reproductive health, whether she had different diseases. It was just a slew of commentary and videos, and it was just relentless, the content that Tasha Kay had been creating. So Cardi had talked about over the years, of course, like being a stripper and just has told different stories about her life prior to being famous. And so what we're saying is like Tasha Kay took that and sort of made up more salacious stories based on like the stuff we knew about Cardi B. 
Exactly. Like taking little kernels of truth, I guess, and then spinning them into something that was a lot more like attention grabbing to get more attention to her YouTube channel and to keep getting viewers to come back. She would be getting hundreds of thousands of views for some of these videos she was making. So think it wouldn't just be that Cardi B had been a stripper. It would be the rumors about her drugging men. And she would create whole stories about that. She was trying to locate former roommates and trying to have them on the show and also telling lies about Cardi B, stories about her alleged <laughs> drug use while she was a stripper. So taking this one thing about her past as a stripper and then turning that into a lot more kind of like a seedy kind of past. Before filing a lawsuit, Cardi sent Tasha Kay a cease and desist and asked her to take down the videos. Tasha Kay did not, and Cardi B sued her for defamation, invasion of privacy, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. A lot of people were really moved by Cardi B's testimony on the stand where she teared up. She was quite emotional talking about the way that this affected her, saying that, look, this isn't just fun and games. Like after the birth of my child, people were saying all sorts of stuff in my comment section on Twitter and on Instagram where I'm trying to celebrate the birth of my child. And they're saying things like I might be giving her herpes. Tasha Kay had told this lie about her having herpes and Cardi B had to like give medical proof that she didn't in fact have this disease. So she was facing constant, not just the harassment from Tasha Kay, but also Tasha Kay's fans and followers who were then just kind of relentlessly going after Cardi B. And Cardi B said, you know, this is supposed to be one of the most moving, emotional times of my life. And it made it really difficult for me to even enjoy and like publicly celebrate um, the birth of my first child. Remember earlier when we explained why it can be really hard to prove defamation when a celebrity is involved because you have to show what's called actual malice? Well, it turns out Tasha Kay actually made it kind of easy for Cardi B. In the case of Tasha Kay's channel and just her testimony, both at the deposition and then during this most recent trial, she would just say things like, my job is to lie about Cardi B. Like she was just being really open about, actually, I did know that these things weren't true. I did know that I was embellishing and sometimes just creating up stories out of nowhere. Like she admitted it, but she said things like, Whatever, who cares? She's a celebrity. She's a public figure. And she's got all this fame and wealth and money. How can I possibly hurt her? How can she show she's been damaged by it? You can't say that she hasn't had hits since it's come out because she's had hits. She seems like she's doing well. So she was just sort of shrugging off that she could possibly hurt this person emotionally or in any other way, too. But I think that idea that, like, you can say anything about a celebrity because they're a public figure is far more common than just this. So could you explain sort of why we think that and why that is not true, basically? (laughs) Yeah, because people feel like, well, that's the cost of fame, that you get to be super wealthy and famous and enjoy all that. And what, you didn't think there are some costs that come with that? And that some of the cost is that it's like relentless criticism. And that is true. There is relentless criticism. But celebrities are still like people and they still have particular rights. And there are things that you can say about public figures. That is true. However, you're not allowed to make up complete lies that are damaging and distressing. You're not protected to do that. 
people expect that, yes, there's going to be criticism about people's music, if they're talented enough, what they're wearing. And that can be really painful too. And that can take a toll. But that's really different than making up lies about someone having a sexually transmitted disease or infection or something. That's really different. So like if Tasha K had posted something that was like, uh, Cardi B used to be a stripper and I hated the dress that she wore to the Met Gala. That's not something that you can sue over, even if Cardi might not like that. Exactly. Not at all. Like, that's fine. Talk about her clothing. Talk about her music. I mean, you can even say some pretty foul stuff about people's bodies, about their appearance that a lot of us might find offensive or something. But you're not going to get sued for that. Or at least someone's not going to win if they did sue you. Because that's a different category that falls into your opinions about those figures, even if they're hard opinions to swallow. But that's not quite like malicious intent. And Tasha Kay monetized her YouTube channel and she had like a million subscribers. And presumably some of those subscribers came from the fact that she was saying all these things about Cardi B. Did that make a difference here? Yeah, I think that it does make a difference. We can even think about the difference that it makes in terms of whether Cardi B would have bothered to file this lawsuit, which has taken years, by the way. These cases are really notoriously difficult to try. Like it's, I think that she first submitted papers for this lawsuit in 2019. But yeah, if it was a smaller YouTuber with just like, you know, a couple thousand or even 10,000, Tasha K currently has around a million subscribers. So I think that does make a difference in terms of, look, you've got quite the reach in terms of your audience and how many people are watching this. And she is making a lot of money off of it too. Like that's the thing. It's not just that you're making these um, videos, all those views, like you said, it's a monetized channel. That's quite a lot of money, quite a lot of income that's coming in off of Cardi B's back based on these lies. So this is just one of several defamation lawsuits that are happening amongst celebrities, against celebrities. Do you think that because of this lawsuit, because of Cardi B's win, we may see a shift where more lawsuits are aimed at like content creators because of things that they're saying in videos or writing. Yeah. And in the like months and even years leading up to this verdict in the Tasha K. Cardi B suit, YouTubers were kind of going back and forth um, about whether this was a good thing for them or not, because some of them feel like, well, I don't tell those sorts of lies. And so maybe I'll get more viewers if those channels are shut down or if viewers are finally fed up with them in terms of you can't trust this content creator, but you could come over here and trust me. Other YouTubers are feeling like, I don't know, is this a slippery slope? Are we all going to feel like we're potential targets and we're all going to have to be more careful about what we say? But in the end, it's not just being careful about what you say in terms of criticizing someone's music or what they wore to the Grammys or something, you can still do that. You can still try to even be entertaining and even like kind of toe the line of like whether it's appropriate or not the stuff you're saying, but that is still just really different from the sorts of stuff that Tasha K was doing. So I think there's a distinction, even if it has made some people a little bit nervous about whether or not someone's going to come after them for their content as well. This does raise questions about the role of content creators versus reporters or journalists. The way we get our information can sometimes make it hard to spot the differences and know who to trust. In the case of Tasha Kay, it seems like she tried to use people's confusion in her favor, but it backfired. This is also a story about just what content creators are and whether or not this is just for entertainment, like we're just having a laugh here versus 
I'm sort of posing as a reporter kind of journalist sometimes. Other times I'm acting more like just a gossip columnist. It's like towing these lines between like, why would you take me seriously? I'm just like saying all sorts of things, but other times explicitly characterizing herself as a journalist and say, look, as a journalist, I care about this, that, and the other. And so I think wearing those different hats also is something that tripped her up because they have like footage and and evidence of her characterizing what she's doing as a journalism. And when you start talking about journalism or reporting and everything, there are ethics to that. So when you start presenting people as, okay, this is my source, this person, Star Marie, she's the one who told me that this, that, and the other happened. And it's like, but did you follow up? Did you use the entirety of that interview or did you edit it? And they even had a recording of her discrediting her own witnesses, discrediting the people that were supposed to be verifying her stories on some of these videos. Well, then they had footage of her saying, oh, I knew that person wasn't telling the truth. But she wouldn't talk about that on some videos. So I do think it's a slippery slope. And I think it's hard to exactly pin down because certain content creators are kind of wanting to be fluid and going through a lot of different categories, almost as a way of shielding themselves and protecting themselves that this was just for fun. This was just a kiki or no, actually, you should treat my content seriously because it's serious reporting. Like, well, which is it? The question of content creator versus journalist has come up a few times in the past few months. DJ Academics, a YouTuber and just generally annoying figure in hip-hop, tweeted information about a hearing in the assault case against Tory Lane. He was charged with shooting Megan Thee Stallion. Turns out the information DJ Academics tweeted wasn't exactly correct. But people believed it anyway, because somehow Academics has positioned himself as a sort of hip-hop journalist, even though he's not. A few months ago, Jason Lee, another blogger type who's the CEO of this site called Hollywood Unlocked, broke the news that Queen Elizabeth had died. That, of course, was not true, but it got some traction on Twitter before people figured out that a site called Hollywood Unlocked would not have the scoop on the Queen's death. Well, it is really confusing because, frankly, like you bring up the DJ Academics and the Megan Thee Stallion thing. I only heard about that on YouTube, right? So some of it is how some of our news and some of our stories don't get covered that well in mainstream media. And we're more likely to turn to social media for some information because we can get more there than we can in mainstream. But then social media is just run by different logics and the whole monetization really confused a lot of things and kind of trying to attract clicks and views and stuff. So it can be hard just as viewers to know which of these sources to listen to especially as content creators start competing with each other. And then like this person is now disregarding someone else's story. And it's like, I don't know if they really think it's untrue or if they're just trying to like get that person's viewers. So it can be really hard to make those calls when people are trying to have the big story and it's your main source of information about some case or some incident. I mean, that Jason Lee one is a great example because that's actually not true in that case. In that case, there's plenty of mainstream coverage about the royal family. Like some of us would argue too much coverage about the royal family. So I was like, really, Jason Lee? He's the one that's going to crack this story? And so like, we all know how that ended. Will this have any implications for YouTube itself? They're working with advertisers who obviously don't want to put their ads on videos that have the potential to get taken down because they were lies. 
I do think it will. I think that YouTube's trying to hide. They're kind of hanging their content creators out to dry, but YouTube has like community guidelines. They have rules themselves about not posting lies, about what are the ethics of content, but it is so incredibly difficult for them to enforce their own rules. And so individual content creators can be sued, but at some point we've got to ask, What's going on with the platform? How is it designed in such a way that not only is it a space to present this kind of material, but to also get rich off of it? And we have to start asking ourselves that rather than going after like individual people. I'm not saying individual people shouldn't be gone after, but if we really want to get at what's going on, we got to think bigger because there's just going to be another Tasha K. And that's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the podcast. And I work with a talented team every week to make the show. Alicia Key is the show's producer. Our senior audio engineer is Andrew Calloway. Graylin Brashear is the senior director of audio. Thanks to Emily Yar and Professor Robin Autry for talking to me. We'll have links to their writing in the show notes. We'll be back next week with an all new episode. And in the meantime, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend.